Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the final hour's here. Outkick 360, Tuesday Just edition. like that. We let off Flying the story. Flying by today. Oh, wasn't? yeah. Le- Is it? Yeah. Okay. I had a problem last week. Last where week I felt you felt like, like it was a Sunday. I felt like Friday should be Sunday. That the week just drug by. Now, now I feel like the week's flying by. Good. Feels appropriate this week. That's good. It's a good feeling. I hate to break it to you. We're just getting started on the week. It's Tuesday. No, sorry. <laughs> it's not no, whatever Thursday, day it Chad. is. Um, uh, well, now, now I'm out of whack again. <laughs> is, it, is it Monday of next week? See, at some point on Wednesday, go. I'm going to feel like it's two, the following Tuesday instead of the prior Tuesday. What day does it feel like for Josh Heupel, who gets the $4 million, well, no, $5 million raise? He's making around four, right? Next year, I want to say he was making like 4.5 to 5 with incentives, but now the contract goes from that to 9 million a year. I'd say it's feeling like payday. There you go. That's what it feels like. Perfect. And he is now perfectly in line with Lane Kiffin. So the Tennessee fans that were lusting after a Lane Kiffin return, now Josh Heupel makes the same amount as Lane Kiffin, which I think feels about right. Uh, Considering that Ole Miss had to pony up a couple times because other schools came after Lane Kiffin. And he stayed. And this, the market is out of whack. We've acknowledged that. These, all these coaches have far too much power and probably make too much money. But where the market is, Josh Heupel being tied for fifth in the SEC in pay makes sense. Behind the obvious, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, and then it's Lane Kiffin, well, and Josh Heupel tied. And this feels great. I think that, that, that's about right. Because it's based on results instead of ransom. Yes. You know, with the race for Josh Heupel. And this is very much in line with Danny White. Yeah. He likes to get out ahead of this, and if he rewards success. And it's not he's not necessarily trying to keep others from poaching. It's just, we'll give you what we feel you're worth based on your level of success next to your peers in the SEC and nationally. What's going on at Michigan? We'll discuss that in about 20 minutes from now with Clayton Safey of On3 Sports, the Wolverine rider. Uh, we'll join us to talk about uh, Jim Harbaugh, offensive coordinator search, what happened with Matt Weiss, and much, much more. Crazy time. But uh, we stick with the Big Ten theme. David Hookstead joins us from outkick.com. And uh, great contributor both here on the show, but also uh, daily to the site. David, hope you're well, man. Hey, uh, great to see you guys. Thanks for having me. We're going to hit a variety of topics here based on what you've written this week and, and recently at OutKick. And let, let's start just in the Big Ten with the commissioner search. This has been relatively quiet overall, I feel like. And uh, maybe they've got their guy picked out. But when Kevin Warren left, news got out fairly, fairly fast that they didn't give him the extension they didn't give him the bump in pay, and he's now the CEO and president of the Chicago Bears. Where will the Big Ten turn to run part of college football? Well, that's a great question. The university leaders are keeping their cards very, very close to the chest. No one seems to know why. There's two names that I think everyone is, is kind of zeroing in on. You have Jim Phillips 
out at the ACC, the old Northwestern AD. He was there for more than a decade. If you were putting gambling odds on it, he would be your runaway favorite in the odds right now. Right behind that, you have Gene Smith, who's the AD at Ohio State, who's probably out under Kevin Warren, was the most powerful person in the conference. So it kind of would make sense for that ascension. But no one knows. It's fascinating. There's been no leaks. They're they're keeping this thing under wraps. I wrote, I think actually Oliver Luck would be an interesting conversation to have if your top options fall through because he has that executive experience. He had the XFL off to a hot start before COVID killed it. He's worked in at the highest levels of the NCAA and it would just be kind of a unique, charismatic name face for the conference. And here's what I would remind you. The Big Ten is going to be on autopilot here for a little bit. They're not going to take new members. We're adding UCLA and USC in 2024. They're not really looking to expand past that now. And the media deal set. So they just need a steady hand, uh, not some guy who, who needs to get crazy. So and one part of this is also going to be the, the TV rights deal is the best thing that Kevin Warren did. You know, his handling of COVID right. was atrocious. We all know that. Yep. And the league knows that now. But the TV rights deal was something that was a big win for him. Uh, there was an interesting, and I forget where he was being interviewed, but he was asked about the fear level of the Big Ten shutting out ESPN because of all the rights that ESPN owns and because they're the worldwide leader in sports, does he fear the, what, what could happen with not having a piece of the ESPN pie? And Kevin Warren, before he left, his answer was interesting in that he didn't really answer the question and kind of led it to, well, maybe something could change the way he answered it. And the first thing I thought was, oh, with two new teams joining, there could be some sort of amendment, especially if they end up adding more teams, where they sell the rights to ESPN for the West Coast portion of of Mm. the Big Ten package, right? And suddenly now ESPN has late-night programming. That's the Big Ten West package. Um, What do you think about that possibility in terms of where this thing could happen? I know, David, you said right now they're not looking to expand, but we all know it's probably not stopping in the next 10 years that there's going to be a 20-team Big Ten. What do you think about that possibility? Right. So let me clarify on that. They are going to take more teams down the road. They're just not going to do it in the immediate future. Right. When we get through 2024, 2025, it's going to be steady. Yes, there will be expansion down the road. What I would say to that is this. Right now, Kevin Warren's strategy was, I want as many networks promoting the Big Ten as possible. So we're going to trade this monster that is ESPN, ABC, Disney. We're going to trade that for three networks with Fox, NBC and CBS, and now we have 75% of the major media market promoting our conference, talking about our conference, promoting Big Ten football. It's fascinating you bring that up because obviously we don't know what's in that contract specifically, but that does make a lot of sense. And ESPN tried to play it off like they didn't really care about losing the Big Ten, but we all know that's a lie because that's a ton of money. That's the Chicago TV market. That's the New York TV market. That's the Philly TV market. No network's happy about losing that. So it would make sense if Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford, they come, maybe do reopen things a little bit and see if ESPN can get back in on it. So I've got a crazy idea here. If they end up expanding, and you're, you're a Wisconsin guy, a Big Ten guy, you know the Big Ten prides itself on academics. And if they add teams, they only are going to add schools that are AAU certified. And right. some of the big, big uh, the Pac-12 schools that have been thrown out are not. The Ivy League just passed into law that they can give out athletic scholarships. I believe Harvard could produce some NIL money. If they're going to give out scholarships – what is to stop the Big Ten from adding Harvard and Yale 
and the Boston market and go into the Northeast and add some of the most prestigious academic institutions in the country and build their programs, not from scratch because they're already playing these sports, but build them up into the Big Ten with an influx of NIL money and interest in those schools. What do you think about maybe two of the next four Big Ten teams coming from the Ivy League? That is actually a genius idea. I was not aware of that whole development there. If you tell me right now we're going to take Oregon, Washington, Harvard, and Yale, and we're going to set the table, that's the 20, I would sign off on that so fast because, number one, think about the billions and billions of money, uh, dollars, that come in every year to Harvard and you're talking about some of the richest Americans in the country that 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 went there. Some of the most powerful Americans in government that went there. If we bring them into the Big Ten fold, the options would be limitless. Now, I think we've talked about on this show before, academics aren't as important to me and a lot of other Big Ten fans. If we are going to stick to that, and, and there is going to be all this NIL money and scholarships coming to the Ivy League, go get Harvard, go get Yale. I mean, that would shock everyone, and it would be incredible. And we've seen Harvard and Yale excel in basketball, and people think, oh, right. that, that's foolish to think they could be a football power. I, I disagree. I mean, if you're the, the athletes that are going to Northwestern or Duke or Stanford or Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt right now, there's plenty of athletes that are also inclined to want to get a great education. If someone came and said, I can give you a full ride to go to Harvard because you're really good at football, and, you can, and by the way, you can play in the Big Ten. Harvard's going to play a game at USC in the Big Ten next. Michigan's coming to Cambridge to take on Harvard. That's very appealing to a lot of athletes out there. I think they could recruit well at those schools, oh. given the resources of the Big Ten. Absolutely. And think about the connections that they could pitch is, hey, you might not go to the NFL, but you want to work on Wall Street. You want to go to law school. You want to, you want to work at the best law firms in America after college. Come to Harvard, come to Yale. We'll take care of that for you. It, you you really would have unlimited resources. Again, the money. Those two schools have so much money, it's borderline disgusting, which is good for them. And if they join the Big Ten, it'd be good for the Big Ten. It's a unique idea. Chad, now that you've put it into my brain, I can't get it out of there. I, I now feel like it has to happen. Write about it. Go ahead. I give, I give you permission. I'd love to read about it at OutKick.com. You can take credit we, for the idea. We might have to do that. <laughs> David Hookstead, our guest on Outkick 360. Um, look, we, we know the Broncos want Sean Payton. You've written about this as well. According to FS1, the Broncos have made the decision that they want to hire Saints coach Sean Payton if he's interested. I know the second conversation, we're still waiting to get details on when they're going to chat again. That's been put on hold by chats with other teams. But we know Russell Wilson is openly recruiting him. They've got the first-round pick from when they traded Bradley Chubb away. That would be, apparently, the price tag for the Saints. And what, David, the price tag for Sean Payton, he's looking at upwards of $20 million a season. Is that right, to join the NFL again as a head coach? Are the Broncos yeah, the only team willing to pony up and do it? Well, they, they are saying 20. To, I've seen numbers as high as 25. And to your point, the Broncos do have that first round pick to swap them out for the Saints. I think it's a great hire in the sense that you got to fix Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson just had the worst year of his career and not by a small margin, by a massive margin. In any statistical category you look at, it was an unmitigated disaster. Sean Payton obviously has that proven track record of working with QBs with Drew Brees. But here's the problem. 
Russell Wilson is not the drop back or sit in the pocket passer that Drew Brees was. We all know it. And I do wonder, okay, is that Sean Payton magic that we saw with Drew Brees that won a Super Bowl, should have been to another one if that Rams pass interference call hadn't happened? Does that magic translate to Russell Wilson at this point in his career? I don't know, but Russell Wilson needs to be fixed. He wants Sean Payton. The Broncos are owned by one of the richest families in the world, if not as a family, the richest. And so they got the money to spend. You might as well see if it works. But I would be cautious about believing he can make Russell Wilson Drew Brees. That's just not going to happen. And I don't. I mean, if the Broncos aren't going to pay him that money, I don't know if there's another franchise that will. Upwards of 20 to $25 million for a league where we don't really know how much everyone's getting paid. Right. Uh, the fact that that's been floated out there means he's getting somewhere close to that. David, speaking of money, Top Gun Maverick made a lot of money, and now it's nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. I feel like the Oscars, they're, they're in need of viewers, quite frankly. Uh, all these award shows are tanking in terms of ratings yeah. right now. If you want to bring back some interest in the Oscars, it's a good start to nominate a movie like Top Gun Maverick. What if Top Gun Maverick won for Best Picture? I also noticed that Avatar 2, which is made even more than Top Gun Maverick, is now nominated for Best Picture. Well, what if Top Gun Maverick won? I'd say that it deserves to win. It would deserve it. It'd be a deserved win. And it would, for the first time in, what, 15, 20 years, show people that Hollywood actually paid attention to what the rest of the country was watching. I mean, I saw a Top Gun with my girlfriend. We went in there. I couldn't, I don't think I checked my phone one time the whole movie. I mean, I wanted to stand up and cheer, which is something I would never do in a movie theater. It was that good. And it made almost one and a half billion dollars uh, worldwide. So Hollywood's become a joke. Most of the stuff they produce is, is not entertaining. It's a shell of the industry it once was. Finally, we have this movie that is riveting, captivating, edge of your seat thriller, action in the sky. I hope it wins Best Picture. The only other film that comes close is All Quiet on the Western Front. It has to be one of those two. Nothing else touches them. Yeah, a lot They'll of love for that one also. And I, I, I agree. All Quiet on the Western <laughs> Front is terrific. <laughs> Uh, and they and, and Hutton's right. They will get it wrong, and they get it wrong because too often it's more about what are you trying to say right. as a movie. You know what, what's your messaging? What's what are you trying to make people feel? As opposed to are you entertaining? Because this is a movie that everyone agrees on. It's you a, award it because it's so well executed. It makes everyone feel something, whether it be pride. You know, uh, love, nostalgia. You're going to feel something watching Top Gun Maverick, and it's just the perfect blueprint. It's the perfect engineered movie start to finish. Maybe they'll make the right decision. Probably not. I, I would even argue that it deserves to win Best Picture because you could seriously look at it and say it saved the movie theater industry. Look at what the box office numbers were doing through COVID up until the point that movie came out. It was on a downward slide. There'd been no real uptick. All of a sudden, Top Gun Maverick comes out. And for the first time in two years, movie theaters are packed again. They are packed for the first time since March 2020. That reason alone is enough to justify giving it best picture. And David, I know you wrote about this, but HBO has another hit on its hands. Uh, it's not often that you get a big jump from a premiere episode to episode two, but that's what's happened with The Last of Us on HBO. 
Yeah, historic. Uh, the biggest jump for an HBO drama in the history of the network. It was up huge, huge. The, the premiere's tracking almost close to 20 million viewers now. HBO makes hits. You got House of the Dragon. You got The Last of Us. Before that, obviously, you had True Detective, Game of Thrones. And it is a phenomenal show. And I never played the video games. I'm not a gamer. I don't have anything against gamers. just not my thing. But I went into it completely blind. Didn't know anything about it. As I, as I know you know, Chad... You couldn't, you couldn't stop watching. You're clinging yeah. to your seat during both of those episodes. It's a cool show too because I too didn't even, I didn't know it was a video game when I saw the trailer for it first on HBO. But if you go back and read anything about it on Twitter or articles, they then point to, oh, this scene in the premiere is an exact replica of something that happens on the video game. And they shot it in this interesting way for the show. And I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that you got Craig Mazin, the showrunner, working with the guy who developed the game, and they've created this TV series that I know they – and I think part of it also, David, is that they believe they've announced it's only going to be two seasons. There's basically two versions of the game, and one right. season will be one version. The second season will be the sequel to it, and that's it. I think that ups demand to watch this series when you know you don't have to invest five, six, seven seasons of a show. Right. When you don't have the Walking Dead situation where it's on, what, 11, 12 seasons, whatever it is. The production value is also what blew me away. How much money, Chad, do you think they spent on make? It has to be upwards of $100 million. Easy. It looks like a movie. It looks like a major, major blockbuster movie, but it's a TV show. It's incredible. I'm sure it's computers, but I mean, it looks like on the show that they're in a bombed out post-apocalyptic Boston. Like it does not right. look computer generated at all. The way they've shot the set, it looks like they're in Boston with no people. It's the way crazy. they're spending money, though, they probably just built the set. P probably, probably took over an island somewhere and built the, their own version of Boston on it. By the way, <laughs> um, which movie are they going to give be Best Picture to? Where will they actually get it wrong? It's the one. I uh, the what's the one? Uh, here, there, everywhere, everything, all around. It's like every, all everything at once. Yeah. Every yeah, everything all at once. That that's the one that'll win it. And uh, did you see that? I didn't. I don't even know what that's about. And I bet ninety nine percent of America didn't. Corey, uh, one of our engineers, saw it and said he loved it. I, I have heard on my Twitter thing go. about Top Gun Maverick. The top responses were, "If it doesn't win." I hope everything, everywhere, all at once, I think is the name of it, probably butchered it again. That or All Quiet on the Western Front wins. But a lot of people liked it and said it's very different, but very, very well done. I know the actress in it won Best Actress at the Golden Globes, and she's nominated again. The one thing I wish that would have happened in this awards nomination is that, that Tom Cruise got nominated for Best Actor. Mm. He did not. Jennifer Connelly, his co-star, in fact, said after the nominations came out, it's a crime that he's not nominated because said you have no idea how hard it is to produce that movie and to play that role as well as he does of Pete Mitchell. And, and she and said how he just embodies, yeah. embodies that personality throughout the movie. And he did those stunts. He's in yeah. that plane at parts of that movie flying around. Yeah. David Hookstead has been our guest. You can read his work at outkick.com. Appreciate it, man. We'll catch up soon. Thanks guys. See you later. Yeah, Thanks man. David. There he is. Uh, coming up, we will switch gears, stay in the Big Ten, and we'll talk specifically about the Wolverines. Michigan football, all of the storylines behind the scenes, what's been out front with Jim Harbaugh flirting with the NFL. Now he's back for another year. The president announcing it, but 
telling the AD about the decision and the phone call with Harbaugh. It's all very So bizarre. many questions about Santa Ono, the yeah. president at Michigan, <laughs> yes. that I have for our next guest. Clayton Safey joins us next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Go to back-to-back college football playoffs and you feel like, well, all is well, right? Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Absolutely. There's still no reason to think that Michigan won't be on top by any means, but there are things going on behind the scenes that we need perspective on. Clayton Safey joins us on three sports, the Wolverine rider. Clayton, appreciate the time, man. Hope things are well. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thrilled to be on. Are you surprised that Jim Harbaugh remains the head coach currently? Um, It was, you know, I think it caught a lot of us off guard that he – decided to come back and maybe didn't ride out the whole NFL process uh, this time around. But I think that was really good news for Michigan. They were able to move on fairly quickly there compared to a year ago when it was early February and he was in Minnesota during a snowstorm interviewing for the Vikings job. But um, no, I I wasn't overly surprised. Um, You know, it kind of felt like a little bit different than a year ago with Jim Harbaugh's flirtation with the NFL. It did feel a little more you know, I do think he had some genuine interest there, but it did feel a little bit more one-sided in terms of the NFL and especially the Denver Broncos courting him. Um, but no, good news for Michigan fans there. And of course, I'm sure we'll talk about not the only drama that uh, has unfolded this this month. Well, and I feel like, Clayton, it's not uh, an issue where Jim Harbaugh doesn't like his job at Michigan. I think he's perfectly content to be the coach at Michigan. But it did feel like a year ago he just interviewed and didn't get the Vikings job. And this year it morphed into the NFL wants me to come back, but I'm only going to go to the absolute perfect situation for me because Michigan is better than anything that's not the perfect situation. Do you get the same feeling now moving forward that this is probably going to be an annual thing as long as he's having success, but that it's really going to take just the perfect NFL head coaching vacancy to get him to leave? I'd say yes and no. I mean, I think your read on it was completely correct. And actually – talking to, uh, you know, different sources and people that he had spoken to, like recruits, it was more that where he was like, hey, I'm not going to not listen, you know, if someone's going to call. And he has representation this year. He didn't have an agent a year ago. So that agent's job, right, is to, you know, make sure he has some options if he does want to go that route. And I think they did a really good job at that and made a lot of people uneasy here in Ann Arbor. But, um, you know, the other part of that is, will this be a yearly occurrence? And a year ago, Jim Harbaugh said it wouldn't be when he just, uh, decided to come back. You're right. He didn't get the offer of the Vikings. And I think if he did, he would have been gone. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Um, you know, it, no man knows the future. That's something Jim Harbaugh has thrown out there lately when he's, you know, hedging some of uh, some of the future and, and talking about that. But I, I have a feeling that the door is at least – more shut than it's been in the last few years with Jim Harbaugh in the NFL. I truly do think that he does like it here. Uh, he does have that goal of winning a Super Bowl. He's talked about that, maybe that itch that he wants to scratch. But uh, right now, to me, uh, you know, 
he was a serious candidate for the Denver job. And that's from all accounts, especially on the Denver side as well. And he decided to pull his name out before he even went there. And, and there was even a potential offer on the table. So I think that speaks volumes. Now, in, in a couple of years, if, if Michigan continues to have success, he feels like he's done a lot here, uh, which he already has, but even more. And then he says, hey, I'm going to take my shot at the NFL. I know that's not the way the NFL is going in terms of the age of some of these head coaches, but I wouldn't rule it out completely. But I, I don't know if it's going to be quite like this every single year going forward. What is Harbaugh's relationship like with Ward Manuel, athletic director, as opposed to his relationship with Santa Ono, the school president, that leads to this dynamic that has Ono tweeting out the news and saying he's going to inform his athletic director (laughs) that Jim Harbaugh is coming back and not the athletic director being a part of that? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a really interesting dynamic up here. So Santa Ono was hired... Back in the summer, uh, he only started on the job. Of course, some of these academic jobs, right? You start a few months later. He only started in mid-October. Um, and him and Jim Harbaugh have sparked quite a relationship. You know, they've he's been involved in athletics. Uh, he was formerly the president at Cincinnati uh, and, and did a really good job there when they're moving conferences. He, he's been involved in, in not only athletics, but every aspect of the university, trying to make sure that they're at the top in every single category. And with that comes... Uh, the football program. And I think Santa Ono saw that, Hey, this thing's dragging out and we have an elite coach here. Uh, You see the picture of them after the big 10 championship game, but, um, and he says, Hey, you know, I don't want to go through what Michigan went through a year ago before I was here. Let me step in and see what I can do. And Jim Harbaugh has a lot of respect for Santa Ono uh, and and helped uh, expedite that process, um, you know, and make him feel loved, make him feel like he should be here. Something that I think probably deep down he knew, um, but Santa Ono definitely helped that. Now, when you talk about Ward Manuel, you're right. I mean, what a unique situation where you have the president of the university who is extremely active on social media. We have to throw that out there and make sure that's known because uh, it wasn't just a one-off from him. And Ward Manuel is very much in the background and not involved uh, in the public eye as much or on social media. So you have Santa Ono saying, Jim Harbaugh called me. I informed our athletic director. One, even if that's the way it went down, which is which is the way it is. It's weird that he, that he said that uh, it didn't maybe protect that, uh, that dynamic a little bit more, but um, yeah, there is a little bit of tension. I think at least uh, between Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel, the athletic director, who uh, if you remember a couple of years ago, cut his base salary in half following what was a, a terrible 2020 season here at Michigan. There were calls for Jim Harbaugh to be fired uh, in one sense, Ward Manuel stuck by him, but in the other uh, I think he, you know, it was a little bit of a gut punch, uh, cu- you know, cutting his salary. This is a guy who's extremely competitive, guys, uh, as you guys know. And, um, yeah, I think Jim Harbaugh, with the success they've had over the last two years, has maybe been a little bit, uh, you know, was miffed by that and is now saying, hey, how do you like me now, right? Uh, you know, we're Big Ten champions back to back. He's going to get a bigger contract. That hasn't happened yet. Um, but that dynamic is is interesting. You, you've seen different reports out there that, Uh, They haven't spoken directly in months. Uh, Not totally true. I've seen them together on multiple occasions throughout the season in person, but maybe official business uh, is handled a little bit more through intermediaries. So it's definitely something to watch going forward and, and, you know, something that, hey, if you're Santa Ono, the president, um, you know, and and maybe, you know, it's a little bit of a signal that, hey, nobody's safe here, but um, it's definitely going to be something to watch. Does the NCAA investigation play anything into the relationship between Manuel and and Jim Harbaugh? And what I've seen reported seems pretty light, not very major in terms of violations, but 
you, you've got this big part of it where allegedly Jim Harbaugh lied to the NCAA about something. And Clayton, you know, we've seen this governing body be very vindictive in the past when anyone lies to them in terms of what they do with levying punishment. Yeah, um, from all accounts and everything that we've heard, Ward Manuel has Jim Harbaugh's back here. So I think that's important to note. I don't think uh, anything with their relationship or working relationship uh, is has anything to do with the NCAA investigation. But it is it is interesting. You, you know, you know, in a way, these are minor violations. Some of the stuff is during COVID, right? Uh, a dead period where uh, they had you know contact with recruits. One of them was they they were on Zoom. And a recruit was working out and then a couple of Michigan coaches were, you know, saying, oh, good job and watching him work out um, well on camera. Apparently you couldn't do that. Um, and then they had an analyst who overstepped a little bit and was coaching during spring practice. So those were just a few of the things. Um, but then you have the NCAA saying, hey, we're going to pick a fight with Jim Harbaugh. We think he misled investigators when he was uh, questioned about these things. And, and apparently from what we've heard, he said, and what's been reported, I think Dan Wetzel did a great job on Yahoo Sports, but uh, that he said he didn't recall some of these and maybe he didn't. Uh, but the NCAA is saying, well, that's misleading. You didn't cooperate with us. That's a level one violation. Level one being the most severe that the NCAA can hand out. Uh, Jim Harbaugh could probably get a plea deal here or whatever you want to call it when it comes to the NCAA. You see that happen, too, even though they are vindictive. They kind of want you to, to you know, lay down your sword and surrender. And talking about it earlier, we said, right, this is an ultra competitive guy and somebody who does pride himself on on being honest and has always talked about that. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that, guys. And I think that's why they're at a standstill right now. It seems like the NCAA wants to lessen this if he'll lay down his sword. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is saying, prove that I lied, prove that I misled you. And that's going to be hard to do, frankly. We, we could see this drag on for quite a long time, as you see with the NCAA. And I thought Josh Pate, who for CBS sports had a, a great clip that I was watching the other day. And he said, you know, it feels like you're, you're pulled over on the side of the highway for going 75 and a 70. Meanwhile, there are people flying by 120, uh, and, and you're wondering, uh, you know, what is, what's the cop doing? Why does, why doesn't he let me go? Uh, cause you're seeing all sorts of crazy stuff in college football right now that they turn a blind eye to, but they feel like they can make an example out of Jim Harbaugh. Maybe not the right guy to pick the fight with. Uh, we will see. I think he's willing to to fight this until the end, um, and and that could be that could be fun for him too. I mean, he, he's you know been a noted adversary of the NCAA on a number of issues throughout the years, calling for change in certain areas. And uh, you know, I don't think anyone has a ton of respect for the NCAA anymore. So uh, I think public opinion is on his side. Clayton Safey, our guest on Outkick 360, hypothetical for you, and I apologize if their name just doesn't pop to mind here, but whenever this comes up next year, we'll have some names on a short list. If Harbaugh went to the NFL, where was Michigan going to look? That's a good question. I, I don't know that it got that far into it, but if you're an athletic director or a school president that maybe is involved in athletics, I'm sure you do have a couple names in, in mind. Uh, the number one name we continued to hear uh, on that front over those two weeks where you kind of had, you know, two weeks between the Fiesta Bowl and Jim Harbaugh saying, hey, I am back 100 percent, was uh, Sharon Moore, who's the offensive coordinator here and the offensive line coach or co-offensive coordinator. We'll see what his role is going forward, um, you know, with some potential staff changes coming up here. But, uh, you know, from all accounts, he's kind of a rising star in the business now. 
yeah, he was maybe contacted by a few uh, different, um, you know, programs in, in the hiring cycle and, and didn't get a ton of interest head coaching wise yet. So it might be a little bit of a risk, but they like the staff they have here. They like the players. And I think with the transfer portal these days, continuity would be huge. So that would be one name. And then beyond that, it, it's kind of a guessing game a little bit. I mean, you always hear the names like Bill O'Brien or even before Matt Rule went to Nebraska, Matt Rule, or before Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin, you would hear his name thrown around. But I don't know if they got that far into it, but Sharon Moore was definitely a name that I think they would look really hard at. Uh, I think he has a bright future in, in coaching and Erdy is is doing some really good things right now. How crazy was it to cover the the Matt Weiss story? And you mentioned possible elevating to uh, co-offensive coordinator with some staff changes. What do you think happens with that position now? Yeah, so twenty about 27 hours after Jim Harbaugh says he's coming back, we get the news that, uh, you know, there's a coach on leave, uh, Matt Weiss, and, and, you know, computer access crimes and all these things. And now, of course, let go. Um, the good thing for Michigan, and Matt Weiss was not going to be let go due to anything performance-related. So, um, you know, it is a blow in that respect. But Jim Harbaugh has a really good track record of hiring coaches. Uh, he has a really good coaching tree at this point in his career. And he also has some connections with the Baltimore Ravens. We've seen uh, him, you know, him and John Harbaugh kind of cycle some coaches back and forth. So a couple names right away would be one potential internal promotion would be Kirk Campbell, uh, who's an analyst here, worked with the quarterbacks over the last season. He's been at Penn State in the past. Uh, he also was the offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Old Dominion. Uh, T. Martin is another name that has come up, who's currently the wide receivers coach at Baltimore and, uh, you know, was in that Tom Brady draft class out of Tennessee there. And, and as I'm sure you guys are familiar with um, and has been a rising star uh, in the profession. And now, you know, getting older into it and was one of the top recruiters in the country a few years ago when he was in college, USC, Tennessee, Kentucky in his background. So that would be another one to watch, I think, as well. Uh, I think we're still in the semi-early phases, but if something happens by the end of the week, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Michigan has a couple of options here with uh, what do you want to do? Make it another co-offensive coordinator? Or do you say, hey, Sharon Moore is the offensive coordinator. We're going to go with the quarterback's coach, pass game coordinator combination type of thing. I think that would actually be a little more likely right now. Uh, Sharon Moore's done a good enough job where I think he he's you know earned that, and I think that's something they're looking at. Um, and Michigan's pass game, if there was anything lacking offensively a year ago when they scored over 40 points a game, the most Michigan scored since 1904, uh, it was maybe the pass game being a little more dynamic. And from what we've heard, Kirk Campbell, who I mentioned, had a, a decent hand in some of that pass game success later on in the year when they started to open it up a little bit more after Blake Corum got hurt. So those would be a couple names to watch. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh, as I said, looks for, you know, looks to upgrade even if a guy leaves, uh, you know, in, in that he wanted him to stay. And I, I think he's going to look at it similarly here. Did I see this right, that they're taking out like 40-plus seats at the stadium to widen the tunnel? How much of a difference is that actually going to make? Who knows? I mean, maybe they felt they had to do something. Um, there is also a little bit of chatter up here that part of that is, hey, we can we can have some more concerts, big events, bring in different <laughs> structures or whatever. So okay. that may be a part of it, too, something they've looked at. Um, they don't do concerts at the Big House, which would surprise you. Um, and it'd be it'd be a hell of a venue. So that, that would be something as well. But, yeah, I mean, to me, uh, you know, the issue there going back to the Michigan State Tunnel thing is, hey, don't whack a guy over his head with a helmet. Right. It has nothing to right. do with how wide the tunnel is. And now you got season ticket holders 
who have been there for decades that are being told they got to move their seats and hopefully Michigan helps them with that process. But to me, it was more of a, a move that, you know, you felt like you had to do something. Well, and Clayton, that was going to be my follow-up question. And, and that your response, which I agree with, was the response of Michigan people everywhere when that incident went down, that they were immediately, people wanted to blame the tunnel. I know James Franklin at Penn State also had <laughs> comments about the tunnel width and everything yeah. else. To me, this feels like a Big Ten decision and not a Michigan decision. Does it, does it feel to you like the Big Ten maybe compelled Michigan to widen it a bit? And because it seems Michigan was pretty dug in on this issue, that it's not the size of the tunnel, it's people acting a fool. I don't know that for sure, but uh, I think some influence. Uh, who's even leading the Big Ten at this point right <laughs> That's now? Good, I don't even point, know. Yeah. But, uh, um, who's no, the most powerful I think school president? Is it Santa Ono already? Whoever <laughs> that is is probably leading the Big Ten at this point. Right, or Gene Smith, the yeah. athletic director at Ohio State, who seems to be the most vocal, but – um, you know, I think there could have been some influence there. I also think that, you know, Michigan, you know, maybe wants to say, all right, let's put this behind us. Let's let's do something. So if something else happens, it's not on us for doing nothing. Um, you know, maybe you could call it a PR move, I guess. But uh, it's an interesting question. And, you know, who knows how much it'll really change. I will say it is pretty narrow tunnel. But I, I've been to, you know, several of these Big Ten stadiums now. And I was at Rutgers just Uh, a week after that Michigan state game, even more narrow tunnel, both teams going to the same tunnel. So Michigan's not the only ones that have that set up. And they were, you know, there were guys walking arm in arm and, you know, dapping each other up and, and, you know, things like that after the game. So this is not, you know, to me to put the blame on the location or the rivalry or anything like that is a little bit, a little bit crazy. Clayton, what you said to start, though, I think is really the crux of why they're doing it. If they're widening the tunnel so they can get equipment in to host concerts, this is a yeah. great excuse to widen it now if they haven't been able to do it in the past. That's true. That's true because you're going to have people like season ticket holders upset and rightfully so. Right. You know, anything, anytime you make a change, right, there's going to be some people, they're going to be hurt feelings or whatever you want to call it. Um, but if it is a concert thing, like some of the buzz that we've heard, um, you're right. You now have not an excuse to do it, but we you know more of a reason. And, uh, and man, I, I'll tell you this, I'll go down the street and, uh, and go to a concert at the big house because, yeah, uh, yeah it'd, be, it'd be a heck of a show. I mean, you could get probably 120,000 people in there, uh, you know, with, with people on the field and everything like that, open up for a concert. So I'd go, and I know you guys are probably music guys down there. So no maybe doubt. you guys come up for a show. No yeah. doubt. You too at the big house. That's going to be the next concert there. I'll, I'll yeah. be there for that. It's going to be some okay. big act. That's for sure. And when you start having concerts there, it'd be a lot of fun. Final thing for you. Are you hearing any buzz on who the hire is going to be for the big 10 commissioner? I'm not really. Um, yeah, we just got done discussing it too. Are, are like, Michigan people afraid at all that it's going to be Gene Smith? Because that seems to would be a name that Michigan fans would not enjoy as big 10 commissioner. Yeah, if that's, I mean, honestly, I haven't, you know, we've had our hands tied a little bit up here, but <laughs> with a lot of drama going on. But if that were, you know, I know there has been discussion. We got a message board over on our site and everything. And when those threads have come up, when Gene Smith's name is mentioned, people are saying, well, this would be worst case. So, yeah, I think they're <laughs> maybe not afraid, but yeah. uh, if that were, they'd be afraid if, if that was, you know, going on, if he was going to be hired. Jim Delaney in the past, you know, Michigan fans complained about him. I think every Big Ten fan complained about, Kevin Warren and what he did, um, you know, he got a big TV contract, but he also you know, didn't seem to be quite the leader they needed back in 2020. Um, so there's always going to be complaints, but yeah, I mean, if you say they're going to hire a, a guy who's been extremely vocal at Ohio state, who's been at times, you know, taking some shots at Michigan, even this past summer, 
uh, there he is with Zeke, um, then, yeah, I, I don't think Michigan fans would be ha- very happy with that. <laughs> Clayton Safey has been our guest. Shannon has never disappointed with our guest from on three. And this is, yet again, another great example. Appreciate the insight, man. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks, fellas. Anytime. There's the, Thanks, the latest from Ann Arbor. Plenty to discuss there. And it is weird that the Big Ten commissioner discussion is – so back burner. Well, you know? weird is the right word. It's just a weird time at Michigan if you're a Wolverines fan because you got to be feeling great about this season. Yeah, back to back, two in a row over Ohio State. Yes. You got Buckeye fans all, you know, clammed <laughs> up about Ryan Day and can he win the I big know. game? Like you're talking trash for another year with the win over them, and then you got a computer access crime from your offensive coordinator. Jim Harbaugh may have lied to the NCAA. Uh, he's got to widen the tunnel. He's best bros with the president and doesn't seem to like his own athletic director. He's talking to NFL teams. It's just a weird time, but the program's still recruiting well. Blake Corum's coming back. Yeah, they've got they've got great talent coming back next year. So look, all's well that ends well in football season, and I think that Michigan is set up once again next year, twenty twenty three, to be great again and be right there with a chance to win the Big Ten and play in the playoff. Coming up, the very latest in the NFL coaching searches that are going on, and we will lead off with Sean Payton. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton and Withrow with you. So... It seems as though everything from the Broncos in, they've made up their mind. They want Sean Payton. According to Coward and a discussion on FS1, the Broncos are willing to trade the pick. They want Sean Payton. Russell Wilson wants him. They're going to pay him. I mean, the reports are 20 to $25 million annually to get him, plus the first rounder where they traded Bradley Chubb to Miami in exchange for that first round pick, or otherwise they wouldn't have one this year. Sounds like they're in. Now we wait on Sean Payton to find out if he really wants to get back into coaching because to me, that roster, that situation, and the 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 fact that it sounds like they're gonna pay the type of money that he's looking for, I don't think there's another organization that would do it quite like that. And there's a reason why we haven't heard anything other from it, it, Carolina met with him last week. He met with Houston last week. He's about to have another conversation with Denver, and then these reports come out. If he doesn't want to do this, then I just I doubt his level of interest in coaching. because Unless it's Russell Wilson that he doesn't want to pair with. But who knows? There's never going to be just the perfect spot. Yeah. Every, everywhere's going to have its advantages and disadvantages. I'm just saying if you've got someone this gung-ho and a brand-new owner in Rob Walton in Denver – that wants you, that's willing to sacrifice this to get you and to pay you that money, and you've got Russell Wilson who's dying to work with you, this is as good as anything. They've got a good defense. They've got a solid young core. 
absolutely make this happen if you're Sean Payton. So there are back-to-back reports involving the Raiders, and that also includes Tom Brady. And I'm going to link up the details here for you on why these make sense. Jeremy Fowler, the Raiders believe Tom Brady would consider signing with them if he returns for the 2023 season. The Raiders are one of about three teams Brady would consider, according to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. The follow-up to that. Teams around the league expect the Raiders to aggressively tweak their roster. That includes Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler getting their own guys. That's the quote while moving on from team veterans. Those veterans NFL teams are keeping an eye on are Darren Waller at tight end and Hunter Renfro at Mm. wide receiver. Why does that link up with Brady? Because Gronkowski is coming with Brady and Scotty Miller from the Bucs is an unrestricted free agent. If you start looking at players that Brady likes on his offense versus who the Raiders would part ways with, and I would want to play with Waller and Renfro, but if you're... Getting a roster prepared for the 46-year-old to be to drop in and try to make a run at the Super Bowl, those are two players that wouldn't be worth the money they're receiving based on the fact that you're going to be bringing in guys that Brady wants with him. You've laid out something that makes a lot of sense. Uh, not having Darren Waller, though, is, to me, that's, a, that's hurtful for the person who wants to go there. They I'd much rather have Darren last Waller. Year too. Yeah. To Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. And if Tom Brady is telling you this, back channels or not, or however, I, and again, I'm just, then I guess you're going with what he says and who I'm he just, wants. I'm trying to add to the... You're trying what, to put the puzzle what together. Makes, why, why does that make sense? Why and, is this report all coming out together at once? And that two would different be a outlets. And that would be a reason. Yeah. And if it just so happens that Scotty Miller's unrestricted and Gronkowski has talked about playing with Brady again. So, bring it on. I would love to see. Hey, by the way, it's January 24th. March 15th is when free agency starts. We'll cover it all, hit the headlines, preview the conference matchups tomorrow on Outkick 360.